What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 139 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to, don't be a jerk. Don't really answer the question first. I'm not answering the question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all of our previous episodes at thebeardedvegans.com, and you can always reach us by emailing thebeardvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, go over the news, and then ask the question, what can we learn from restaurants and butcher shops' reactions to vegan protests? Oh, Paul, it's so good to be in your presence again. Yes, it is, Andy. It's been it's been quite a while since we've been able to record together, and it, it, like it, it definitely feels. I wish we could do this all the time. It, Me too. It, it Me makes too. it a lot better, I think. Yeah, I mean, because we got to see each other at the Tri-State Veg Fest, but I was like in quarantine, so we yeah. <laughs> could not hug. I gave Paul a giant hug upon entering mm-hmm. his his household today. A so. germ-free hug. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about this. I feel like I say that every week, but why would we talk about something if we weren't excited? So this is going to be a fun one to dig into. It's definitely, it's a nice follow-up to some previous discussions, but we're going to get real deep and dirty with this one. Yes, we are. But before we do that, Andy... We got a new, uh, got a new, we got a new few announcements to make. <laughs> a new few, one, huh? one new, too few, <laughs> too few, <laughs> too old. All right, so yeah, let's let's bang through these <laughs> dates really quickly right now. Uh, we are doing the Atlantic City Vegan Food Festival on July fourteenth. At that event, we are doing a live podcast with a, a special guest. It's going to be a lot of fun. We love doing the live podcast. We love seeing the beardos come out. Make sure to bring some questions when you do, because we always try and make some room for a little Q&A afterwards. So yeah, come on out. That's going to be awesome. And then July 29th, I, Andy, will be speaking at the Colorado Veg Fest in Broomfield, Colorado, which is just outside of Denver. I'm going to be on this really awesome food and body shaming panel with the wonderful JL Fields and the amazing Ginny Messina. So that's at 2.20 p.m. and would love to see some beardos in the audience for that as well. It's going to be our second time doing the panel and hopefully we'll get a good recording of that and put it out as a bonus episode at some point. Yeah. And speaking of bonus episodes, Andy, and <laughs> yeah. speaking of that new announcement, <laughs> in addition to the few announcements, we a, a new bonus episode on our Patreon should be out right now. We recorded it a mere few hours ago. It is a review of the movie Calling to Rescue, which is free to watch on YouTube. So, you know, if you're if you're subscribing to the Patreon, Go watch it on YouTube and then go check out our review of it. It was a lot of fun and uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, definitely. We will put a link to that in the show notes for your for your clicking pleasure. But yeah, I think uh, surprisingly a film that both of us really liked and would recommend for pretty much anyone to watch. Yeah. But does not mean we did not have many nits to pick about it (laughs) and that's what makes it fun so yeah head over to the patreon uh, and sign up for as low as a dollar a month you just got to go to thebeardvegans.com slash beardo that's b-e-a-r-d-o and that'll give you all the options for that so yeah maybe talk a little bit more about the patreon later in the episode so andy have you been eating anything interesting you know paul i actually have not had an opportunity to go to any fun new vegan restaurants lately one 
this episode was recorded very soon after the last <laughs> one. This is what three days afterwards, and in the meantime, I was holed away in a cabin in Forestburg, New York, not a vegan mecca, but went up there with my amazing partner, and we made beyond meat chicken salad sandwiches on pretzilla pretzel buns for lunch every day a huge scramble for breakfast every day with waffles and fruit and we had fish tacos with the uh, garden fish fillets and so so eating lord (laughs) eating incredibly well and every meal most meals not this not the breakfast was accompanied by a big salad so all these great vegetables and some of those pictures are on our instagram but yeah no no like restaurants to recommend so i will graciously hand off the food section to you at this point well thank you well i do have something for the probably the first time ever i have something and you do not andy i took a trip down good looks (laughs) i took a trip (laughs) (laughs) red hair for sure (laughs) i i thank you no andy you're very handsome thank you i was fishing for that (laughs) i was vegan fishing for that compliment and i thought you weren't about to give it to me you're the handsomest (laughs) well we're tied Okay, I'll, deal, I'll, I'll take that. So I took a trip down to Delaware to drop off some of my stuff because I'm moving there shortly and could not take a trip down to Delaware without going to the one vegan spot that I know of. Not saying there's not more than one, but there's only one that I know of, and that's Drop Squad Kitchen in Wilmington, Delaware. And I'd been there one other time before, about a year and a half ago. I had a wonderful experience then, and I had a wonderful experience now. Minus the fact that they were sold out of mac and cheese. Totally would have gotten that. Gasp. I got it last time, and it was good. But, Andy, I I looked at the menu. I saw the buffalo chicken sandwich, and I said... I should branch out and try something different. <laughs> are you are you sick now? Are you feeling okay? <laughs> I think that's what I got last time, actually. But this time I got their Philly cheesesteak, which was a bold choice because living in Philly, I've I've had many a vegan cheesesteak in Philadelphia. But let me tell you, this one was so so good. Mm. The the I believe it was seitan. The meat was shaved real thin. There was a good cheese sauce on it. There was some garlic sauce on it as well. That but it, it just had so much flavor in it, and it was among the top vegan cheese sticks. I would say Wizkid, Blackbird, and now Drop Squad Kitchen are probably my my like tied for number one. Well, I can't wait to visit you in Delaware then, because yes. that is high praise. Those was, are some of my favorites. No, it was it was phenomenal. I also got some greens on the side. They were great. I got some tacos. They were also great. Like this place just seems like a winner. It's it's. I will say this, Andy. It's weirdly in this. It's a all vegan restaurant inside of a non vegan ice cream shop that has. No vegan options. And also the only advertisement on the outside is for the ice cream shop. So there it's in this like weird behind this like pier type area. It's very hard to find. And there are signs that say like restaurants this way. And it lists all the restaurants and it lists the ice cream shop, but not the vegan shop. So I remember the first time I went there, I had a lot of trouble finding it. So it's it's one of those places where. You, you got to be in the know. Do you feel really cool when you go there? Because you I, know it's there. I feel cool now. Does. Yeah, I feel cool now. I, I literally read online one of my other friends that I was with. He posted about it, and someone commented on that and said that they had walked by it three times and had to call the the restaurant and had to have them give <laughs> them directions to get there. So, yeah, it is not easy to find, but it is well worth the trouble. Makes it a little more exciting, I guess. Yeah, no, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for that. I, I feel like. 
it reminds me of uh, Dajin Eats in Orlando, which is the vegan restaurant that's just sort of hidden in a gas station. There's no signs for it on the outside. You just walk in. It's gas station stuff all all around, sodas and chips and tobacco and five iron energy or whatever. Yeah. And then there's just a vegan cafe there with vegan ice cream and the most <laughs> amazing food. Uh, although did find out that Jen, the amazing proprietor of that establishment, is actually opening up a full restaurant somewhere else in Florida. I think somewhere in Central Florida. So I cannot wait to go there and get some legit <laughs> sit-down service, hopefully. What other type of <laughs> establishment will this one be hidden in? <laughs> I guess we'll find out. We will. Maybe you have to go through an escape room in order to get oh. to it. That would be my dream You're come true. <laughs> but then, like, extra pressure to actually escape, because if you don't, then you don't get the food. And also, it's just a, a terrible business, <laughs> business plan. <laughs> Must plan at least two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly not going to get food at the outcome of it. Everyone's just hangry at the end of it. <laughs> Shut up, Jim. <laughs> All right. Shall we go on into the news? Yeah, let's let's do this news section, Paul. So I got a first little bit of news for you, Andy. This is, I don't know how much we'll have to say about this. Just a nice little bit of news. We're going to be talking about some, I don't know. I don't know if heavy is the right word for a lot of our discussion, but definitely not fun <laughs> not yeah more serious that's more, for sure so this is a little bit of levity a little sunshine in your yeah day. coming from veg news all pediatric residency programs end live animal training and this is from june 25th hey that's today <laughs> it sure is <laughs> as of this month all pediatric residency programs in the united states and canada have replaced the use of live animals with more humane relevant procedural training methods Laval University in Quebec, Canada, was the last of 227 surveyed by Plant-Based Medical Group Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, or PCRM, to make the change. PCRM and its director of academic affairs, John Pippin, have been paramount in eliminating animal training in medical facilities across North America, including at Laval, where it provided the university with tools to encourage non-animal training methods and petitioned the local government and national agency Canadian Council on Animal Care to intervene. Good old Paramount Pippin. Paramount Pippin. So basically, they yeah, it's a good news story. They persuaded them to use non-animals for this sort of testing. They were doing like... I don't know. I read they were like giving live animals like shots and poking them with all the sorts of like scalpels and needles and all that sort of stuff. And and I, I think one of the, the selling points that PCRM, it seemed like they gave them was like, hey, yeah, good. You can do this on animals, but animals are not human. So let's do let's do either on, you know, like like test. Let's find humans that are willing to to let practicing physicians do this or find other things that are more relevant and more simulate what it's like to be using on doing this stuff on actual humans. So it was, it's, it's cool that they were able to persuade them to do that. Maybe not, not because it's vegan, but they were still able to do it. Yeah. I guess that makes me think about the merits of, you know, I think this even calls back to recent conversations about, uh, vegan meals being offered in California prisons when I was not feeling it because the reason was not for the animal side of things. It was because it was going to be a cost thing and hopefully be healthier for the prisoners as well. Mm -hmm. And it's like, all right, well, I guess maybe sometimes we got to just use those non-animal reasons to achieve our ends, perhaps. I feel differently about this one, though. I feel differently because this is in the realm of animal testing versus 
the that one which just seemed like a more general like let's get more vegan options type thing and with animal testing i feel like once animal testing is not like a part of our culture as as so much as like eating meat is a part of our culture yeah. so it's like it, no matter how you decide to ban this this form of animal testing i feel like it's it's gone after you've you've been like hey this way is better than the way that you've been doing it with animals and someone's like okay cool no one's gonna, you know like there's yeah. not going to be i mean maybe there is going to be a pushback but i feel like it's not going to be as strong people aren't as like i would imagine i shouldn't say i i know this for a fact but i would imagine people aren't as like no we need to have these pediatric residency programs doing live animals like if you can prove that this other way is better not even because of the animal ethics they're just gonna be like okay and they'll never do that again and and if you could get that done with all types of animal testing i feel like people would be like okay we're not using animal testing anymore and it's not going to come back after that yeah i guess i guess my only worry about that type of messaging is like well what if there is an option where the using the animal is the best option you know, like fr- framing it like this, it's like, oh, it's cool that maybe it's better to test on willing humans and all of that stuff. But uh, it's, I guess to me, it's almost like when someone's like, I need a vegan burger that perfectly replicates the flesh of a cow. And it's cool that we have things like that that are pretty damn near close at this point. But but people recognizing the inherent rights of animals to not be exploited and used as things and commodities should not rest upon whether or not we are able to replicate a perfect you know replica of cow's flesh as much as i love the beyond burger <laughs> i get that i don't think though that this again i think that it's different because it's animal testing and i don't think that them switching away from animal testing for this reason will necessarily promote animal testing for other reasons like like i get what you're saying that there might be some other thing where people are like no we need to do the animal testing for this and maybe that's when the animal ethics could come into play and i get that like if we always were coming at it from animal ethics maybe at that point, once we build up to that point, it would be like an easier hurdle to overcome. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we would be getting stuff like this to happen as quickly if it was only from the animal ethics standpoint. Yeah. Whereas I think, I think the the analogy that you made, it is more true for the food aspect of it. Like I think that there are downsides to doing that sort of stuff with the food, but I don't see maybe I could be completely wrong because I don't actually know that much about this. But But it seems to me that that it's less harmful for future, tackling future issues pertaining to animal testing. It doesn't seem like it's going, like this victory will, I can't see how it will negatively impact that. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's just to me, it's sort of the message it sends to the general public but I also don't know how much the general public is really paying attention to these moves that are being made. Actually, I will say, obviously, this is on Veg News. If this was covered in in uh, more popular news outlets, no shade on Veg News, but more mainstream. <laughs> that's what I was looking for. More mainstream news outlets. I do think, though, that, again, 
animal testing, I think, is something that the general public sees as disfavorable. At the, it's I feel like brands like companies like Lush and and other campaigns like that are are shifting the the general perspective on animal testing. So I think that someone a, a non-vegan would might see this article, and even though the reasons that they're switching it are not because of animal ethics, I think that a, a your average Jeff, that's just your non-vegan Jeff that's going to read this. I think they would see that as like, oh, that's good because animal testing is bad. I think they would, they might pull that out of it. Yeah, I, I guess that would be entirely possible. And and maybe even just the the fact that it's not effective is a good enough reason to ditch it. Like maybe that's like a reason on its own the fact that we need to be like, listen, this is just not good and effective. And for that reason alone, you should stop it. Maybe that is a good reason to argue for it just because it does have the net positive of these animals not being tested upon anymore. Yeah. And again, I don't think the fact that this is not effective, I don't think that that bolsters a different, a different issue where someone would say, Oh, but this is this animal testing is effective. Like I don't think that this being not effective would make that more effective or would make that have a stronger argument one way or the other. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just that it feels like it's saying like if it is better for us to use the animal even if we could avoid it, we should use the animal, you know? I don't know. So I have I got a I got a problem with that, Paul. I, I get but, what you're saying. But overall, I appreciate this news. I think <laughs> it's a good thing. Yes. Yes. So we move on to our second news item. Our second and last news item of this news section. This is coming to us from June 22nd over at it was a report on a bunch of different outlets and it was actually kind of hard to piece together exactly what was going on, but 2gb.com actually had the most info. Two good boys? Two is that good us, boys. Andy? That's us. Two good boys. So the title of this article is Animal Rights Protesters Charged with Animal Cruelty in Illegal Demonstration. So clearly, this article has a point of view. <laughs> <laughs> a group of animal rights protesters have allegedly injured and killed several hens in an illegal break-in at a chicken farm southwest of Sydney. That's Australia. Just before midday, a large group of protesters allegedly forced entry into a farm shed on Mowbray Road at Lakeside near Camden and threatened the owner with bolt cutters. As the group burst into the shed, the commotion scared the animals who crushed each other with several suffocating. The group ignored directions from RSPCA inspectors who were inspecting the property at the time and tried to put the chickens in cages before attempting to leave. Several suffered broken wings in the chaos. Police arrived as the protesters were attempting to flee and stopped a car full of chicken cages nearby. NSW Hen Rescue founder Catherine... That's a, how do you feel like you'd pronounce that, Paul? Kelleher? Kelleher? Yeah, Catherine Kelleher was one of the 13 arrested over the incident. Speaking with Ben Fordham, she denies the allegations, but he's not convinced. Ben... It's not looking good when you've got animal rights campaigner being charged with animal cruelty, Catherine. Kelleher, no animals were injured or killed by animal activists yesterday. Ben, they were killed though, right? Kelleher, they were killed by the farmer. If they died, it was because they were about to die. 
Kelleher attempts to put the blame on the RSPCA and the police, saying, The charges are an attempt to take focus off the RSPCA and the police who have neglected to help the hens in this matter. So I found this story interesting because I guess the first thing that kind of sticks out to me is the fact that they want to charge these activists with cruelty to these animals, but they were already, they already had a death sentence anyway. Yes, no, definitely. Like you, you pointed out in the beginning, you were like, this article definitely has a bias, but reading through this, even though Andy, like we, there are times where we, we talk about types of animal protests and we're like, this is not effective. Like, they probably did more harm than good. This like, even though we, we look at things with, I feel like we try to look at things with a critical eye and a skeptical eye sometimes, Mm -hmm. but this seems like, I'm like, I don't think that this is what happened. (laughs) Skeptical eye for the vegan guy. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Like, like, what do you think happened? Because the the chicken group, NSW Hen Rescue, totally denies that they harmed any animals. Like, (laughs) honestly, what would not surprise me is if what actually happened was these chickens were in, like, terrible conditions. Like, they were dying and, and you know, were suffering from broken bones and, and what have you and all this terrible stuff and were injured just in the processes that were happening at the factory and then these animal groups came in, like picked a couple chickens up. And then when the police came, the farmers were like, oh, look what they did. And we're pointing towards all the chickens that, yeah. that were already badly injured. I think that like we don't truly know what happened here, but I feel like that's you're probably on the right path there. It was like I said, I looked through a few different articles and everything was pretty vague. What I just read there was the majority of the article. And it's still kind of light on the details. They make it sound like the activists like kicked in the door and scared all these birds. And they do show footage from an investigation that happened there. And the birds, you saw the footage in the the clip we watched, the birds are crammed so tightly in there. So I could see if something like that happened, the birds kind of scrambling over each other and, and being scared. But I'm also thinking that if these are vegan activists, they're probably taking all precautions possible to not harm animals. Like that's, that's sort of a tenant of at least like the ALF is that you take any and all necessary precautions and reasonable precautions to not cause harm to humans or non-human animals. Yeah. Uh, And you know, and this was not an ALF action obviously, but it seems like they're, yeah, like you said, they're, the the farm is trying to pin the death of several animals on these activists that probably had already happened or is in the process of happening. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just seems. Yeah. I don't know. It it, it seems like. Uh, what's what I'm looking for? Faulty journalism. Yeah. I mean, it definitely it all seems like there's a clear bias there. I guess I, I would say, though, that if this is the case, it does seem like it would be very irresponsible on the part of the activists. Mm hmm. And I guess, it, like, if that is the case, I would I would certainly not be pleased with them at all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think of in that video that we watched, because it says, like, the group ignored directions from the RSP. I, I'm still kind of confused as to what was actually going on. Andy, did you get the idea that the, the protesters had called the RSPCA investigators to, or they had gotten them to come to this place to investigate it, but then the investigators, like weren't really doing anything. So that's when the protesters were like, we're going to go in there and take these animals. 
I got the impression that it was like just a weird coincidence that the RSPCA and the protesters oh, really? there at the same time. But I don't know. Nothing really led me to believe that either way. But the article just sort of says the RSPCA that was also there at the time, yeah. you know? That's weird. So, yeah, it is weird. But I don't think that uh, the re- the HEND group would call the RSPCA because, like, you know, they're basically the, the ASPCA and they have a very low bar for what's considered abuse for animals. Although I guess the RSPCA in this case did say to the farm, like, you got to get your act together because clearly these conditions aren't great. Did they? Yeah, but that was kind of like the the most that they did. It just seemed like it was kind of like a verbal warning from what I could gather. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, this video we can check it out in the article. The cops are like tackling the 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 activists that are taking these hens out in these cages, like straight up, like throwing them on the ground yeah. and like arm barring them or whatever with chickens in hand. With chickens in hand, yeah. Maybe that's how they got injured, and then they're like, "Oh, here you go." Yeah, animal cruelty. Yeah, really irresponsible. But it is, I, I, in general, like or overall, it is. There is definitely, you know, a cruel irony to them getting amongst other things obviously this that's just what the title said but there was a few charges like trespassing yeah. and some other things but it's there is a, a a wicked irony to them getting charged with animal cruelty to these chickens that were going to die yeah 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 the whole thing sucks yeah so with that being said andy i think it's time to move on to the main discussion however <laughs> we have some business to take care of before we get to that discussion yes yes we do so as we said at the top of the show uh we have a patreon and that enables people like you you beautiful beardo that's listening to support us if you feel that you have the desire and the financial means to do so yeah you we're, we're talking to you we're talking to you <laughs> on the treadmill and with, or driving your car right now with perhaps walking a dog <laughs> Yeah, so people can support us for as little as $1 a month. You can give much more than that if you so choose. And anyone that does that gets access to all of the bonus episodes that we put out. We put out at least one a month. And sometimes we have goals that will enable us to put out more than one a month. And, Paul, we're actually less than – we're $80 away right now from hitting our next goal, which is, I think, achievable. I think yeah. we can do that. Once we hit that second goal, we will actually be able to transcribe two episodes per month. That means mm-hmm. every other episode that we put out there will have a full episode transcription, courtesy of our amazing Beardo Alex, who's helping us out with that. And – that helps us become a more accessible podcast because we want we want everyone to be able to enjoy the show, whether they can hear us or not, or whether they have impaired hearing or not. And uh, getting those transcriptions, not cheap. Not cheap, but you know what? Like, this is something – that getting the episode transcribed is something that we talked about, like, probably over a year ago. Yeah. And and I'm, I'm stoked that we're finally able to do that, even if it's just – a few episodes at this point, I'm super stoked that we're able to do that. Yeah, I think we're, we're getting there. We're getting there with the help of the Beardos. And also with, with the, the money, we actually purchased a new microphone and cable today for yes. our our dual in-person, which is a rare, rare occasion. But we have to have a separate mic set up for when the two of us are together versus when we are apart. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's happening. Real yeah. things are happening <laughs> with the money that people are giving us. Yeah. And it's, it's making our podcast better, hopefully. Hopefully it sounds a little bit better. And hopefully we become a little more accessible over time. And so 
thank you. And and it's not just altruistic reasons to give to us. Uh, you can also get bonus episodes, as I mentioned. You can get early access to episodes. So people that pledge at the Mega Beardo level, which is ten bucks a month or more, you can get the episodes early. And some usually that's three days early. On Sunday morning, we'll post them as long as I'm not horribly sick and we have to record on like a Monday afternoon <laughs> and then just push through to the night in order to get it posted on Tuesday. But normally Sunday morning, Sunday evening is when we'll get it posted. So if you need that fix early. Andy, I have a feeling this episode going to get posted real early. So early. So early. <laughs> before it's going to get posted before the, <laughs> the, the last episode was posted. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so yeah, you can get buttons and stickers and all that good stuff. We have a new sticker that you should keep your eye on our Instagram for that we'll be posting pretty soon. It's probably already been posted at this point. but Andy's giving me the eyebrows. (laughs) What if I do this, Paul? Ooh, Andy's giving me a chef kiss. (laughs) Two chef kiss. (laughs) So yeah, if you want to get in on that action, you just go to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo. And the final thing that you'll get if you do is a shout out on the podcast. So thank you very much to our new Patreon Beardo donors. Uh, Isabella J and Jacoby Y who increased their pledge. Yeah. So thank you. That's something you can do. You said, you know what? I'm not giving these guys enough money. (laughs) I'm going to give them more. Uh, So yeah, we really appreciate that. And just before we started recording, actually uh, my good friend, Mark Hawthorne signed up and Mark is uh, a, a fantastic, very prolific author. You've probably seen a lot of his articles in veg news, but he has some great books, bleeding hearts, uh, a vegan ethic, and my personal favorite, Striking at the Roots, a practical guide to animal activism, which is a really great guide for anyone out there looking for tips on how to get started with activism, how to uh, increase the efficacy of their activism, or find new ways to get active. And uh, I believe there's a 10-year anniversary edition coming out uh, later this year. So thank you, Mark, Whoa. for that. 10 years. Yeah. It's pretty good. 10 years of activism. 10 years of books. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, thank you again to everyone that, that does that. There's a little bit of an extended plug for the Patreon there, but we really appreciate it. And um, yeah. we're really excited about what these things enable us to do, which is not go horribly into debt every time we break a microphone. Listen, listen to Andy's beautiful voice through that new microphone. Oh, yeah. Microphone. Microphone. We got to get this going with my morning voice sometime. <laughs> now we're talking. <laughs> All right, Paul, let's move on into this main discussion. We were we were digging through the news, just looking for our little news stories, and we noticed a trend in a lot of the news stories. And I was like, we're going to have a really nice theme today, but we decided there's enough going on. This warrants a main discussion. So we are asking the question, uh, what can we learn from restaurants and butcher shops' reactions to vegan protests? So listeners might recall episode 129, where we asked the question, should vegans target individual restaurants? And that that whole discussion was focused around a restaurant in Toronto called Antler. And go listen to that full episode. I I thought it was a really fun discussion. But, But essentially, some vegans decided to protest a restaurant that was sort of known for serving quote-unquote exotic meat. It was more than your simple cow, pig, turkey, uh, chicken. And they were upset because they had a sign out front that said venison is the new kale, and that caused them to target this restaurant. The protests increased. The amount of people protesting increased. And the owner, who was his last – his last name was Hunter. I forget what his first name was, like Chris Hunter or something. He decided he had had enough, and he was going to take – the leg of a deer and go to the front window of the restaurant and carve it in front of the protesters. And that caused a big hubbub. And ultimately it 
worked very much in the restaurant's favor. Uh, they said they they said that they had just reservations out the wazoo. They were just like booked up every night. There was all these articles written about about this situation, most mostly favorable towards the restaurant. You know, the vegans are harassing this restaurant. They won't let up, etc. He scored an interview on the Joe Rogan podcast, which is like one of the most popular podcasts of all time, as far as I know. Got a ton of 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 amazing positive press and was nothing but good for his restaurant. So we were wondering if there was other examples of this, and they fell into our lap via the news cycle. So um, I don't know. Where do you think we should bring it from there, Paul? Well, I th- I think the other one we should bring up is this other this other news story that we had also talked about before, which was the butcher shop in Berkeley that there was protesters out there like every every weekend I think it was for four months and eventually the protesters kind of gave the 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 butcher shop a like a a list of demands an, basically. an ultimatum yeah, of yeah. Sorts. and and what it ultimately ultimately ended up with is the butcher shop hung up a sign in their window that was like attention animals lives are their rights killing them is violent and unjust no matter how it's done and that's actually what the antler protesters pivoted to once they realized we we don't really even know what their goals were. It was always kind of wishy-washy. It was like they wanted vegan options, but then vegan options were put on, and then they just kind of continued to protest. It seems like they lost the plot a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It was a it was a murky story. <laughs> but but I so we had discussed this Berkeley butcher shop, but I don't when I was what is, what is it, Paul? Berkeley, Berkeley butcher, 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 Berkeley butcher shop. We, we haven't we haven't had a visit from our friend Drippy Dog in a long time. Forgot that was a thing that you did, Andy. How could you forget? I'm sorry. He's in our intro. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh boy, but I don't remember if if we discussed this aspect of it because this might have been something that happened after we discussed in the episode that we discussed the. Berkeley Butcher Shop. Berkeley Butcher Shop. <laughs> but from a different article, I found, let me just read a little quote from it. So it's it's talking about Monica Rokino, who's the owner of the business. Monica Rokino said business has improved since the press coverage started and they fielded supportive phone calls from around the country. While the Rokinos certainly appreciate the spike in business, she added that, quote, it's not worth the anxiety and trouble and time of the last three months. And just looking at when I was kind of trying to refine this article, just looking at some of the titles of other articles, like this one was bowing to pressure, a Berkeley butcher shop makes a deal with vegan protesters. Another one was like vegan activists, blackmail butcher, vegan, vegans, bully, California butcher shop. So it's, it's the vegans definitely had the negative. There was always a negative tinge to what how they were talking about vegans and again similar to antler it seems like this butcher shop ended up getting you know more business because of all this coverage yeah and so that's interesting because this is so so we have the case of antler where they refused to bow to pressure and like really pushed back against them with this extreme counter reaction of carving up the deer's leg then you have this berkeley butcher shop that gave into their demands, but still got a ton of press out of the whole thing. And then we have this third case that actually came up very recently of the butcher block Hillcrest, which is Droopy dog. Come in here. (laughs) The butcher block Hillcrest. (laughs) 
I like how much you like Droopy Dog. <laughs> so what this is at the uh, the Butcher Block Hillcrest, this is uh, a restaurant in Durban, which is in South Africa. And they have this this big old storefront that's in looks like kind of a shopping plaza, a couple storefronts all in a row there. And some someone or someones went and spray painted the phrase meat is murder right below their their sign that's on the, the storefront there. And the reason that I think this is notable to talk about is because, you know, as I said, we have the antler shop that like really pushed back fiercely against these protesters. And and granted, this is not a group of protesters, but it is people sort of attacking their restaurant. You could you could call it that, I'd say. And so they posted a picture of this. Let's call it vandalism. Um, this art, this artwork that was put up. <laughs> they posted a picture of what happened on their Facebook page. And here is the message that they wrote with it. To those who have beef with us, we totally appreciate and value your opinion and high-rise writing skills because it was up quite high. But don't stress, we have no beef with you. There are some excellent vegetarian and vegan options in the greater Durban area for those unable to find something to their taste on our menu. And then they list a few restaurants out to lunch, French Valley, Falafel, Fundy, a few others. And then they say, happy eating to all. So this is a totally different, yeah, <laughs> totally different type of response, and I feel like um, you know a lot of people would would harness this moment in the way that you know the the uh, the chef owner at Antler said he wasn't trying to get more attention. He just thought that carving the deer's leg would disgust the protesters to the point where they leave. But I think a lot of people could very calculatingly take this moment to gain. Uh, pity for their restaurant to gain praise for their restaurant and and to express like anger at what happened because i think that in general they'd probably feel pretty safe knowing that the rest of the the public would feel you know the majority of the public would feel angry with them and instead they decided to take what we'll call the high road technique of just being like we don't have a problem with you and if you don't like what we do here's other places for you to go uh paul yes what do you make of this this response Honestly, like if I was those vegan protesters, especially because they're not in like a they're not having a dialogue or anything. There's no conversation happening. It's just like graffiti. And then this post. Like, What if what if the owner spray painted that whole message next to it <laughs> on the side of the building? <laughs> but but because it's not like a dialogue or anything, I almost feel like I'm like, bravo, butcher shop. Like, I feel like you've you've turned this into something that really just makes you look like you know to the general public it's you look like the the quote like the bigger man in this situation and like i i feel like there's nothing that a vegan could then say that's gonna make non-vegans like at this point anything that they say i feel like is gonna make them look like assholes yeah and so i actually there's um you know it has like 500 shares and and 2000 reactions and a bunch of comments so it's not the most viral thing that's ever happened but again it did happen pretty recently you know once it gets that beard vegans bump paul <laughs> it's gonna blow right up but i was looking through because i was looking i was like okay i want reactions from various people i want to see how the vegans are responding i want to see how the non-vegans are responding and as predicted a lot of non-vegans were offering their support to the restaurant and they're like, Oh, this sucks. This is vandalism. And then there was some people making, you know, 
uh, yeah, I support PETA, people eating tasty animals, <laughs> you know, whatever. Like, people just, uh, carrots can hear you, uh, carrots can hear themselves being eaten, and, you know, all of all of those kind of just silly lowest common denominator type comments. And I was looking for, like, all the vegan comments, and I wasn't really finding them. I was finding a few vegans that were kind of responding to the lowest common denominator ones, and I found a few vegans that were saying, like, you know, on behalf of the rest of the sensible vegans, you know, we apologize for this thing that happened. You know, people sort of cowing down to, is that a non-vegan term? <laughs> to, uh, you know, to, to what happened to basically be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not all like these bad vegans that would vandalize your restaurant. And there wasn't really the angry vegan response that, you know, again, I did not look at everything. I probably looked at like a hundred comments and I just wasn't finding the angry vegan response. Like there, there was more like vitriol being spewed by non-vegans, but mostly it was, is like positive comments and supports and people just tagging their friends and be like, look how silly this is. So I, I think that you're right, Paul, that it, it puts the vegans or at least the activists that did this in a position and yeah, I guess the vegans that would respond on Facebook in a position where they're just going to look worse because they're not responding to aggression. They're not responding to someone be like, you know, they could have said, guess what? We're doing quadruple bacon, you know, double cheeseburgers for the rest of the month at half price because, you know, they could have done something like that and that would get the vegans all riled up, but they didn't. They were just like, here's the vegan restaurants. Here's my, here's my take on it. My completely, unprofessional psychological analysis of this situation. Unprofessional. Unprofessional. That similar to the the non-vegan ice cream incident, <laughs> if listeners may remember a handful of episodes back, maybe a dozen or so. Yeah, I would say about a dozen episodes back when we talked about the vegan that had bought the crying girl. Episode 131. Oh, did you pull that one out of thin air? Andy? Thin air. It's totally out of my memory. Definitely not looking at our iTunes <laughs> listing. Is it okay to buy non-vegan ice cream for a crying child? So that in that situation, a vegan had saw a crying girl that wanted ice cream, bought the girl an ice cream, a non-vegan ice cream. Technically gave the girl money okay, okay. of which the child could have used to buy anything, but did buy ice cream. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Before Facebook <laughs> comes for us again. <laughs> and then... And then a vegan called this original person out on it and and was like real harassing her and being in general real shitty to her uh, over via the internet. And someone so, being shitty on the internet. <laughs> so so I'm making this comparison because if Andy, we take this this butcher block hillcrest, let's take this situation and strip away. The context, like, so take away the fact that it's a butcher shop, take away the fact that it's an an argument about meat and veganism. And now it's just, it's just someone like, this is what the general non-vegan public sees is someone vandalizing someone's business and the business owners reacting with like kindness. Yeah. And if you strip it down to that, it's like, there's no way that that the vegan people could come back and do anything that doesn't make them look like an asshole in the same way that the, the it's like the, the general public saw the vegan girl do something kind for the, for the crying little girl. Yeah. And therefore it's like, 
that person has the favor of the general public because they're the ones that did the kind thing. Yeah. And because of that, I don't think that like, again, like I said, I don't really think that there's any comeback that the vegans could have after this. Yeah. And and I think that it's only possible for people to have that reaction. Well, maybe I think, especially in the case of the ice cream, but maybe less so in the case of this vandalism, but uh, or art art creation uh, is is that the general public will strip it away from the ethical implications because as we discussed with the ice cream thing, yes, it is nice to purchase ice cream or give money to someone to purchase ice cream if they are in need or if they're they're crying or if they're sad about it. But does that child's need for ice cream or desire, I should say, for ice cream in that moment, trump the rights of the cow that will suffer and die for that ice cream? But when you start to throw in these acts of kindness and you you mix it with a general public whose only perception of or the the majority perception of veganism is meat tastes good, you know, like ice cream tastes good. Like people think it's just an issue of palate pleasure. Yeah. People think that vegans are protesting because they don't like the taste of meat. You know, why why do they eat vegan burgers if they're if they don't like the taste of meat? Like that that is what people think this whole thing is about. Mm-hmm. People, you know, and maybe this is this is definitely part of our fault as advocates to have not clearly communicated that to people or to have the issues muddied by so many different types of activism and different messages being thrown at the public. Right. But it's only possible to have this reaction when people strip it of those connotations. So maybe it's, it's unfair for that to be how people perceive it, but that is how people perceive it. And I think that's, that's what our conversation is about today is, what do we learn from these experiences? Like we can sit and say it's unfair that people aren't thinking about that cow and the suffering that she goes through for this child to have ice cream. But even if it's unfair, that's sort of the reality of the situation. What can we do about it? I have one thing that, that I learned from this, Andy, that just popped into my head after having this discussion with you already. And that's that the general public will not look at these things with the nuances that most vegans will, maybe I shouldn't even say most vegans, but that, that, (laughs) that, that many vegans will like, they will not look at this situation. This someone spray painting meat is murder. They're not going to, they're not going to be looking at that through the lens of someone who has talked about animal suffering or talked about the ethics of, of, animals as as property and and how we use animals and how that's bad they're not going to look at it like that they're just going to see someone is vandalizing this business like that's that's like and yes they they know they might know it's about veganism but it's like there's no way they're going to look at it with these nuances so maybe what that means is that with our advocacy we need to be and i mean we've like we've talked about this with the, with the antler protest. It's like, we need to be so clear with what we want and what the message that we're trying to get across. And, and maybe that means rethinking these kind of like age old slogans, like meat is murder. And maybe we can't just like go up and tag that somewhere and be like, cool. I'm like, this is, this is how I'm going to get this message across because clearly it's in this situation, it's not, really affecting people how we want to affect people. It's not getting these details across. Yeah. And, you know, we've had multiple conversations uh, across several episodes where you were asking me, 
Is there activism that someone can do that gives the general public a negative impression of activists or veganism that is still productive in some way? And I feel like this, in my mind, especially seeing the reactions from people, falls into that category of uh, gives people a negative reaction and I think has almost zero net positive gain for animal liberation or for the, the public image of veganism or for animals in general. Because, I don't know, like, maybe some people, it will make them think, but I think that, like, people's, like, desire for law and order almost surpasses mm-hmm. that. Maybe, maybe the, we've never, we should talk about the phrase me is murder at yeah. some point or using the word murder, but, like, maybe that as a sticker on someone's laptop or button on someone's shirt, maybe them reading that would cause them to think about it. But I think the fact that it, it you know, and this is, totally unscientific but it it feels like the anecdotal evidence we're seeing is that people are just like stepping over the message and they're just saying this is vandalism and vandalism is wrong and therefore i'm against it and i already don't want to stop eating animals so i'm just going to use this to bolster my view that vegans are irrational and trying to force their views down everyone's throat and i can continue on my day as if nothing is wrong other than vegans don't know how to respect personal property (laughs) No, I, I, I back that. I back everything you say, Andy. I, I will, I will, however, maybe add on to you said like, oh, maybe a sticker on a laptop or something like that. I would say only, even only as a, as a form of conversation starter, because I, I feel like the phrase meat is murder is at this point, it's become cliche is the wrong word, but it's become like the stereotypical one of the stereotypical kind of vegan slogans and and has it become that to such an extent that it's just lost its meaning to the general public where it's like oh yeah meat is murder oh yeah morrissey cool yeah we like yeah that's good cool and then (laughs) you just move on it's like this thing where has it lost its meaning like no one's do people think about what the message is that you're trying to get across when you say meat is murder anymore? Or has it just become like when you, when you find a word like bubble and you just say bubble 10,000 times and then you're like, I'm just saying noises now. It's not, it's, it's lost its meaning. You know, the last word that that happened for me for was the word smock. Yeah. Oh, that's a great one. <laughs> anyway, smock. Uh, uh, smock, smock. It's like, what is, what is smock? <laughs> we're not stoned right now (laughs) yeah no i i agree with that and i also think that you know we're getting on a bit of a tangent here but you know when people see a phrase like meat is murder they say well i eat meat therefore you're calling me a murderer and i don't feel like a murderer yeah so so there's like i think that maybe falls under the category of giving ourselves unnecessary obstacles you know, like you could sit there and, and, and argue why it is murder, right? And people say, well, the dictionary definition says like other humans, whatever, <laughs> you know, and you're like, shut up, average Jeff. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, do you want to have that conversation uh, uh, and trying to parse out the nuances of, of you know, why meat is murder? Or would you rather get to the point of what you really want, which is like asking someone if they would go vegan or why they would go vegan or like whatever it might be, like actually getting the conversation you want to have. I know that's a consistent theme with our show, but yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's my view on meat is murder. I have, I have rarely seen it start a productive conversation. And I'm actually, this just, I, I wasn't going to bring this up 
because I didn't think it was relevant, but it's relevant. Like in one of the comments in one of these articles that I read, there was a vegan that commented on the article and was like, oh, but like this is, they're contributing to the genocide of animals. And then someone else commented on that. That was like, well, actually, if you look at the definition of genocide, like, I don't think you know what, like, blah, blah, blah. And it was just like, Oh, because they're like, if it was actually genocide, there would be no cows. Yeah, like they're trying yeah. to kill all the cows. And I'm honestly like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> but it's but it's like at the same time, that person knows what this person is trying to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it's almost it's almost like worse. <laughs> like I don't mean to down, downplay genocide whatsoever, but it's it's like it deserves its own word because it's a horrible treatment of these animals, but you're continuing to keep them alive because you want to continue to do it to their species. Yeah. It's not it's not like you don't have like a hate I don't think I don't think most people that eat animals have a hatred of animals. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of people have a complicated relationship with their food and even if they have all, a lot of these excuses that they put up, they're still thinking you know, like I don't love what happens to animals. You show someone footage of what happens in the agriculture system to animals. No one loves that. Very few people will defend that, especially, you know, people say, well, we have to do that or that's how our ancestors did it. All of those things. But like, no one wants it to be that way. People like it. It's unfortunate that that's how I have to get my protein, but that's just the way that it's done, you know? So I think that I've totally lost my train of thought, but <laughs> no, I, Andy, I, I think I've never thought about that, but what you said that like, maybe it, it's something that needs its own word. Okay. Yeah. That's what I was saying. That it's not a bad idea. Beardos yeah. come up with it. Come up with the word because <laughs> come up with the word for the most terrible thing that you can think of. Cause yeah, it's, it's like weird that it's, it's not out of hatred necessarily. It's like a really cruel thing. Like if you're trying to think of something that would be, so cruel to do to like a human it would be you know obviously there's a number of things you could do but like one of the things you could do would be like yeah i'm gonna you know totally put your entire species in captivity and i'm gonna keep killing you but i'm gonna keep forcing you to have children so we can keep killing you and perpetuate the system it's objectively horrible (laughs) right Yeah. yeah and so maybe genocide is the closest thing some people feel like we have to describing it but it's not accurate and maybe we do need a new word for it. And maybe people will make fun of the new word for the thing for a while until it catches on. Mm-hmm. But veganism was a new word at some point, And now it's just an accepted thing. Yeah. Dang. Drop that. Drop that. Don't drop that mic because we just bought it. But <laughs> <laughs> then we'll need to buy a new one. But no, that's a Andy. We're getting to some shit today, Paul. <laughs> Things are happening. Um, should we? Okay, so there's actually a little more to this story. So that was all just going off of a Facebook post. And then I, I was like, I need to find some verification about all of this. Like, And I found a few articles that were published. So we're going to look at one that came out June 24th from IOL.co.za. Pizza, the pizza capital of the world. <laughs> uh, vegan vigilante graffiti backfires. And so it turns out that this this uh, butcher block restaurant was not the only recipient of this artwork that was adorned to the front of their business. There's also a restaurant called the Chili Plum Bistro. So this article is mostly talking about that. So um, let me read from that. Ursula Haupt owner of the Chili Plum Bistro, caught the vandals on cameras but is not pressing charges because they are minors. Quote, 
I can see from the footage that they're quite small. <laughs> they were wearing white face masks, beanies, and hoodies when they got up to mischief. And to me, that's like like when Anonymous for the Voiceless does their thing, they usually either wear the Guy Fox masks or they just wear those like plain white masks, which oh, I bucket, think are... Bucket head masks? Bucket head masks, yeah. Not wearing, not wearing KFC buckets though. <laughs> but anyway, part of me is like, I wonder if they were inspired by anonymous maybe, for the voiceless to do this. But anyway, they were wearing white face masks. <laughs> is is there masks for any other part of your body? Do you think? <laughs> like it's just called armor at that point. I think. Well, actually, the fact that it's called a face mask, you're right, leads me to believe that it's like a, just for your face instead of like a whole a head type mask yeah but have you ever heard someone call something a head mask no that like a halloween that would just be a mask like a halloween mask all right all right (laughs) that's fine okay i'll buy it anyway the uh, article continues we have not opened charges because we think these were children and children sometimes do silly things everyone's like taking the high road yeah this whole whole thing everyone's being real cool maybe just also maybe they're not opening charges because they couldn't see their faces (laughs) also true maybe just south africa and all the business owners are real chill chill. whatever (laughs) well maybe this is why if anything they've made my restaurant more popular we were fully vegan when we first opened three years ago but the market couldn't sustain itself so we had to change our menu this is actually i think the first time i've ever seen a vegan place go non-vegan and actually stay open yeah unless maybe it happened recently. She said, the boys' tactics had made no difference to meat eaters. Quote, nobody has become vegan because of it. In fact, I had to use oven cleaner to remove the spray paint from the restaurant's window, and that cleaner was tested on animals. Seems like an unnecessary thing to include. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of... I'm going to eat more. Like, oh, you protested me, so I'm going to eat twice as much hamburger yeah yeah but anyway this is this so this is something that even with everyone kind of taking the high road for the most part they're still getting increased business because of it that seems to be the (laughs) the underlying theme of all this so here is before because we're about to pivot to some different types of stories here is something this is what this has me thinking about which is that essentially if if you are doing activism and the dominant ideology is against you. And this isn't even like, oh, it's like 40-60. This is like 98 to 2%, something like that. Even though you love to see vegans tout the fact that 90% of people say they're animal lovers and they want better conditions for animals, all that stuff. People like to say that like most people are like mostly vegan in their, their thoughts. But in practice, that's not the case, right? And most people are invested in defending the dominant ideology which says to them it's okay to eat animals it's okay to exploit animals for our own means for whatever is we deem necessary or even frivolous like animals are here for us to use right so if you are doing something that's going against the dominant ideology that things like this are almost never going to go in our favor i think unless the owners respond in a way that is so reprehensible if they respond in a way that's like viciously racist or sexist or something because i'm thinking about like in new york city with with nyclass who we've talked about before they they will often film their footage they are the group that that protests the horse carriages here and by here i mean new york city which is where i'm not currently sitting (laughs) whatsoever 
and they will film the interactions with the horse carriage drivers and the horse carriage drivers will use homophobic slurs and sexist slurs and it makes them look horrible and it does them no favors with the public. Yeah. So I think unless someone reacts that way, which is essentially doing something that goes against the dominant ideology. Now, obviously there are plenty of racist and sexist and, and transphobes and homophobes, all that, all the horrible stuff out there. But I think like in general pop culture favors, a more tolerant view of those things. Do you think that's fair to say? Yes. So I think that unless the response that you get from the restaurant plays into something else that the general public finds distasteful, I it's hard for me to see actions of this nature having a positive effect on the general public. And I guess the question I would ask you, Paul, is in the instances where they've succeeded with their goals, like getting this this uh sign up in the the Berkeley butcher shop like is it worth that trade off I'm going to say no <laughs> like shocking even with the even with the sign in the Berkeley butcher shop i i feel like that was not their original plan for the, like when they started protesting 4 months prior i don't i don't think they were like we want them to get this sign to put up. Yeah. Like, I think they wanted them to close in that case. I think they wanted them to close down with some of these restaurants. I think they just want them in some way. They want them to go vegan or something like that. But I think a lot of times they don't have a clear idea of what they actually want. And if they stopped and thought about like what they actually want, if it was to get their ultimate goal was to get this sign up, like, I don't think that that's worth four months of your time plus this butcher shop getting more exposure then. Because I don't think, yes, you could, of course, you could make the argument, well, more people are going to that butcher shop, which means more people are going to see that sign. But I don't think that that's really going to sway those people's opinions very much but they're going to the butcher shop because they learned about the sign so it's unlikely that they'll show up and see the sign and go oh i didn't think the sign was gonna say that (laughs) good day sir (laughs) i said good day did we use i saw the sign we must have used i saw the sign as the song for that we got a couple great choices (laughs) (laughs) but and then like with the graffiti there was you know I, i especially you know it says it it was possibly children that did this. So, you know, they might not have been thinking about like, Oh, I need to, I need to think about this. I need to think about what messaging I'm going to write up and how that's going to affect the general public's opinion about veganism and meat. It might, it was probably just like kids that were pissed off about this rightfully. So, and we're like, this is something that we're doing either just as general mischief or we're doing this as a sort of catharsis to, to, help our these emotions help handle these emotions that we're having so either way i don't think like they were it doesn't seem like something that someone would do and be like this is the thing that's going to change everyone's minds so it's like in these examples like i don't think it's i i definitely don't think it's worth what they did given all the exposure and and boost in business that these places got yeah yeah i i think that it's hard to look at really any of these situations and feeling like veganism or animal liberation or the animals have come out on top. Yeah. Or at all. In most (laughs) cases, in every case, it feels like a net negative for the animals. I think definitely, you know, and like imagine spending 
four months of and you know what they were maybe protesting every Saturday or yeah, whatever you weekend. know whatever it was. I know that's the case for Toronto. I'm not, I forget about the butcher. I think it was like every weekend. Yeah. So imagine doing that and getting the sign in the window. I wouldn't feel like oh. I, I need to celebrate now because the sign's in the window. It almost just feels like it's like we need to figure out something that we could achieve that would make us feel like okay about backing off so we could claim a victory as opposed to just being like, fine, you win. You know, like it, it feels like I think it would feel really demoralizing. Yeah, I could be wrong. I don't think that they stopped protesting after that either. Or is that the Toronto place? One of the, those two. The Berkeley one. The Toronto one, as far as we know, we we tried to, to check up on Antler before prior to doing this and the most recent article we could find was from April 20 from on April 20th, Paul, which has no significance to anyone. Uh, (laughs) And it was essentially, it was something we had already talked about in some follow-up conversation, which was that they wanted them to hang up the sign. They said, obviously, no, why would we do that? That's silly. (laughs) And also what you're doing is great for our business. And then they said, well, we're going to project it on your storefront. And then the cops were like, no, you can't do that. And they're like, okay, we're going to project it next year's storefront. And the cops were like, also, you can't do that. So they didn't get to do it at all, as oh, far as no. I know. You know, so, uh, yeah, I don't know. I would feel really just, if I was them, I would say, if I was those protesters, I would be at a point where I'm like, you know what? This is probably not worth my time. I would rather spend this time going and talking to people about why they should go vegan right now so that that way they won't support this restaurant in the future. Or if they do, they'll eat the vegan options that the restaurant added to their menu. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because like the Toronto one was another example when, when bring it back to when you say like, you need a clear message. The signs that we saw in the pictures were all over the place. Almost none of them addressed the issue of the humane myth lie, like the humane uh, meat, cage-free, egg-free, egg-free, <laughs> egg-free is vegan, uh, <laughs> cage-free, free-range, all of those things. Like, n- there was not a unified message or front in what they're trying to convey. And if I was the average average Jeff that was walking by, I love that average Jeff has become part of our vernacular. We need to make an average <laughs> Jeff t-shirt, I think. Uh like you would see that and be like, I I get it. You don't think animals should be killed, I guess. But like you wouldn't really understand why that restaurant. You wouldn't understand why not the butcher shop across the street, which they did start protesting once people pointed out that hypocrisy. But then it's like, what about the restaurant down the block? You know, like how far can you spread that? <laughs> they just keep telling them to be like, no, I, I see a restaurant <laughs> down there. Just go to that one. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's under the bridge over there. It's just a cardboard box that says like restaurant <laughs> it's fried on. chicken. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, I think so. So lessons from these specific instances are one: if you're going to do this type of action, which it seems like we're at a point where we're like none of these really work. But if they are. Have a crystal clear demand that is able to be given up by the restaurant. Like, they're not going to just say, I'm going to close now because of you. Like, that's not realistic. Unless you can give them such bad, bad press that people stop going. But clearly, that's not what's happening. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think getting them, if they, are, if they don't offer vegan options, getting them to offer vegan options, I feel like that's a good goal to have. Yeah. A GG. A GG. Uh, there's this, there's this place in, I don't know. This just reminds me of, there's this place in Philadelphia. I never talked about it on the podcast. This place called, it's literally called Redcrest fried chicken. It is the last place you think would have vegan options and they just have a homemade vegan fried chicken and it's delicious. I've heard good things. Yeah. And, and it's like, I feel like obviously Philadelphia 
I mean, Toronto's pretty vegan friendly. I was going to say Philadelphia, I think, is more inclined to have something like that. But it's like the more that you can show businesses that they can have these options and people will get it, the easier it's going to be then to go and convince another, you know, another restaurant. So I feel like that's a really good if you're if you choose to do something like this to protest a restaurant, I don't know how much more you're going to get than that, than yeah. them offering a vegan option. Yeah. And I think about this is that if you do protest or even just reach out to them to add vegan options and they do, and then no one buys them, that would seem like a failure. So again, I know this is like me being a broken record. I feel like that all circles around to, we need more vegans. Yeah. And we should spend a significant portion of our time working on either educating people and creating new vegans or doing things that sustain those that are currently vegan and prevent them from relapsing or Andy Ooh, third option. <laughs> you get them to have ready a, for this. <laughs> you get them to have a vegan option. And then instead of protesting, you set up this schedule where <laughs> if you have 20 <laughs> protesters, you like one goes every few hours to the restaurant to get, and you just keep cycling it so that you only need to go once a week. But there's always someone going and getting the vegan option. Sounds like a real win-win for that restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> so Andy, we've been kind of talking about how a lot of these reactions from the restaurants and the butcher shop have, I mean, they're obviously, well, not, not so much the one in, in South Africa, but the other ones, like, they're obviously unhappy that this stuff is happening and it's an annoyance. However, they, they, seem to see the silver linings from it and are like, oh, okay, well, it's it's annoying. It's causing us anxiety, but it's giving us business. Let me actually, before you say this, Paul, let me ask you, do you think that these restaurants are overplaying the public support that they're getting in order to, to, to sort of rub it in the faces of the vegan activists? I cannot speak to the butcher shop in Berkeley and the, the South Africa one, but the Toronto one, I'm going to say no, because that one seems to have gotten genuine celebrity endorsement from Patton Oswalt, from Joe Rogan. Like, I don't you can't fake like inviting this guy on a podcast. That's true. Maybe the moon landing people were behind it, though, and the whole podcast appearance <laughs> was fake. He doesn't actually have a podcast. Call Alex Jones immediately. We <laughs> we go to listen to the episodes and it's just it's just <laughs> silence for an hour and a half. But it seems like people have in general been like, this is an annoyance, but there's some good stuff from it. But I found a couple other articles where it's like the reactions have have been from the 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 people being targeted. The butchers have been much more negative, extremely negative. And I'm going to read an article from Euronews.com titled French Butchers Want Protection Against Vegan Terrorism. And Andy, let me preface this reading by saying there's an organization in here, clearly a French name, that I am looking at this and I have absolutely no clue how to pronounce this name. And I'm going to give it my best shot. I am so excited <laughs> for this to happen. Okay, here we go. It has a nice acronym, though, so after I say it once, I don't need to say it again. Yeah, the acronym really flows together. <laughs> <laughs> French butchers have called on the government to protect them against violent attacks from vegan, quote, terrorism. In an open letter to Home Minister Gerard Collum, the Confederation Francaise de la Boucherie, Boucherie, Char <laughs> Charcuterie, Tratours. <laughs> 
<laughs> also known it's as like, the CFBCT. All right, it's like butchery, butchery, charcuterie, tra- traders. <laughs> the the French Federation of butchers, butcher, charcuterie, and uh, traders. traders. <laughs> God. <laughs> I want one of our French listeners to send in um, them pronouncing this very beautifully, and then we can just like edit it in to future episodes. Yeah. <laughs> or do a nice side by side of the real pronunciation and that beautiful pronunciation that I just gave you. Anyways, in an open letter to the Home Minister, the CFBCT, a union representing artisan butchers, denounced recent attacks against members of their profession. For the past few months, the 18,000 artisan butchers in our country are worried about the consequences of the increased media exposure of the vegan lifestyle. CFBCT President Jean-Francois Jouhard wrote in the letter published on Facebook, Although respectful about our compatriots' food choices, we are deeply shocked that a part of the population wants to impose its lifestyle to the vast majority, not to say its ideology, he added. In recent months, some butcher shops across the country have had rocks and fake blood thrown on their storefronts. A vegan militant was also found guilty of apologizing for terrorism after a butcher from a Super U supermarket was killed in a March terror attack in Trebase, southwest France. So what, you find it shocking that a murderer was killed by a terrorist? I don't, the woman wrote on Facebook. Justice does exist. Yeah, that's not good. Not good. That's not good. Can I, can I um, provide some levity? Yes. The situation I just did a Google translate of that name, and it stands for the French Con- French Confederation of Butchery, Butchery, and Caterers. <laughs> <laughs> Not traitors. <laughs> for Guhard, these attacks are more or less a form of terrorism. It's terror that these few individuals and organizations seek to sow with one goal in mind, to quite simply make disappear an entire part of French culture, he added. Please let French people eat what they want. So, obviously, this there there have been this this sort of vandalism. They're saying rocks and fake blood thrown on the storefronts, but I, I think obviously rocks different than graffiti. Mm-hmm. But they are not seeing it with the silver lining that the South African <laughs> business owners have been seeing it with. I I, I think if that is genuine, rocks just thrown at the storefront. I think they have a reason to to be worried about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Now, I don't know if they are if they are overplaying the, the the fear that they have because the first part of what they're saying is like we are shocked that people want to impose their li-. like it almost feels like it's just saying like we don't want them to promote veganism because it's against what we want. And then it goes on to the part where it's like, Oh yeah. And they're throwing rocks at our storefront. I feel like it's almost two different things, but they're strategically possibly they're lumping it into one. So it seems like promoting veganism equals scaring these businesses. Yeah. And of course the, the irony of a business who profits off of killing others, complaining about others, imposing their lifestyle upon them. That's always fun. Yeah. Obviously, that that like celebrating the person that was murdered by the terrorism attack comment, not cool, not helping anyone, only making veganism look bad and being a bad, shitty person. (laughs) (laughs) But but besides that, yeah, I don't know. I I think. I think that they're they're invoking the word terrorism, which I think is a strategic move to 
uh, sway public opinion towards them because like as soon as you attach the word, obviously they're not the only ones doing this, but as soon as you attach the word terrorism to it, it's again, it's like, Oh, this is a bad thing. Like we, we want to, this is like a, a, a key, like it's like a, a, a hot word. What's the word I'm looking for? Hot button. It's a hot button. It's a buzz. It's not a buzzword, but it's like it, a trigger word. I don't know. It, it is kind of like a buzzword because it's like it's not, it's not terrorism. Well, maybe they would genuinely argue that it was, but I feel like it's not terrorism. But they're, they're using that because that brings certain images and and feelings to people's minds, and then they associate that with veganism. And now all of a sudden, veganism is like the. It seems like it's a terrible thing for people to do. Yeah, I mean that kind of has me thinking about the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act, which allowed businesses to add a terrorist enhancement to the sentencing of those that were found guilty of crimes against a business that profits off of the use of animals. So you could you could burn down a shoe factory, a non-vegan shoe factory, and you could burn down a leather factory and the person that burned down like a leather factory would get a significantly higher sentence because there was a terrorism enhancement added on Mm -hmm. because they were hurting an animal based business. Yeah. So yeah, just like adding that word terrorism, like really, you know, especially with like the war on terrorism and all these things that we're still, I guess very much in the throes of right now is, is definitely a way to really scare people. Now, now granted this is France, right? So maybe the, the, culture around terrorism is slightly different than the u.s but i can't imagine it's immensely different i would i would think it's very similar all right i'll roll with that (laughs) and i actually found this other very similar article that i'll just go through real quick from the telegraph butchers quote living in fear as vegan attacks on the rise says countryside alliance and you know i don't even think i really need to read it but it's basically just it's more of the same thing it's it's saying like Small businesses are are living in fear because they're getting red paint thrown on their doors, and they're they're being like subjected to abuse online, and they're trying to vegans are trying to destroy our businesses by ruining our online reputations and leaving negative reviews and comments, and people are threatening to smash windows and throw petrol bombs in the stores. Uh, one of the quotes says, we live in fear and we're up warring at night. They are terrorizing us, which if that's true, that sucks. But yeah. And you also have to think like, again, what to what end, you know, I mean, maybe there would be a conversation to, to be had if, if doing that achieved something, I don't know. That's a separate conversation, right? Maybe we would reject it on principle alone. I, I'm, I guess I'm not saying either way. We could talk about that at some point, another episode, but as everything that we've seen already, like, it's kind of like, to what end? Like, yeah, I don't like seeing a butcher shop when I, when I walk by one. I, it, it's, you know, a symbol of our, our you know, exploitation of animals, right? But, like, to what end, if that one butcher shop closed down, it's not going to decrease the demand for meat for anybody. People still want meat. Yeah. They're still going to find it somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're, you're not wrong, Andy. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> but it's my favorite designation from you. Not wrong. <laughs> so I don't know. I just wanted to include those because that's like a more because we're talking about reactions, and that is a a in in I think stark contrast to the South African business owner. This the the the, the reaction to the graffiti being like, "Hey, man, we're cool. 
I, I, I see what you're doing. I'm going to let you do your thing, do it over at these restaurants over here. Like I'm going to do my thing. And again, I don't want to downplay that some of, I am, have no doubt that some of these people feel genuine fear and that's not good, but this is, this is especially from the countryside Alliance and then the CFBCT. This is kind of like a counterattack. It's, it's like turning what these specific vegan activists are doing against them by turning general public opinion against them. So, so the, but I guess, I guess it's not maybe in stark contrast because in both ways, even the 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 graffitied business, they're still they're doing their thing. They're like, "Hey, man, we're all cool." <laughs> I just imagine like Matthew McConaughey is the owner of that business. All but, right, all right, all right. <laughs> but like, go in, eat some falafel, man. In, Thank in, you. In Thank both, you. I'll be here all night. <laughs> in both, Matthew, go hang out with Droopy Dog in the corner. <laughs> no. <laughs> in, in both cases, they're basically they were able to get public the public on their side. In yeah. one way, like. Oh, look at these people being so nice. Like, oh, that's awesome. I wouldn't even call it getting the public on their side. I would call it maintaining the public on their side. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's not, they don't have a lot of legwork to do. The vegans have the, the Mount Everest to climb, whereas, like, these businesses are already on top of Mount Everest. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that was uh, accidental. But I'll take it. So, yeah, I don't know. That's why I wanted to include it. I don't know if we have anything else to say about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess to me that's another example of how this can backfire. I feel like we, we've like looked at a number of ways in which these things can backfire on us. And sometimes it can be something very gentle like the South African butcher's block, right? And sometimes it could be something like this that this – what if this is the fuel to the fire that creates a French version of the AETA? Um, excuse my ignorance. I'm not sure if something like that already exists or not. Or what if it, what if it leads to – if there is something like that, it – it to the increase of the penalties under their version of that law or something, you know, something like that. Like who knows? And I think that, like I've said before, I am willing to accept that there may be forms of activism that don't do us any favors in the general public, but do actually legitimately save animals. Um, I don't think these actions are any of those. And I don't think it's worth risking what, what could potentially be lost by doing these actions. I think in that in the article about the the French the French one, I think at the end they did mention like oh yeah and there are these laws recent law banning the the what was it the use of calling oh vegan meat and pro- eggs yeah. and all those things yeah calling them like vegan meat and stuff like that so so it is I mean this last this last line it's basically saying this person is is claiming that these vegan individuals their one goal is to make disappear an entire part of French culture. So I feel like that does encapsulate the same idea of what that law was. I'm sure people maybe used that argument when they were trying to get that law to pass, which, which did pass. Like they were trying to say like, Oh, we can't call these things meat because it's not like real French culture is, is animals. And we have to keep that. Like maybe they literally use that same rhetoric that's being used here. And this is the fuel that they're, that they're getting that from. Yeah. I mean, clearly the climate for veganism or even plant-based eating doesn't seem to be particularly favorable in France right now. But if you're a fan of French cuisine and you're in London, you might be in luck. 
<laughs> That's a transition right there, Paul. <laughs> so this last article that we are going to talk about, um, you know, pe- people have posted this article I've seen as an example of how these protests do work and how they they can get the goods and how they can get things done. So I wanted to, to dive into it if, and see if we, we think that that's actually correct. So this article from munchies.vice.com on June 20th says, French restaurant that served foie gras will go vegan due to protests. Oh, I tell guess me, we're wrong about everything. Tell Paul. me more, Andy. Okay. So let me just read a little bit from this article before we talk about this whole situation. A French fine dining restaurant in London announced earlier this month that it would remove all meat and dairy products from its menu over the next two years, despite previously selling up to 20 kilograms of foie gras a week. Are you about to look up that conversion? Would you like me to, Andy? Please. (laughs) Gautier Soho. Gautier. Somebody that I used to know. (laughs) It is 44 pounds. All right. Good to know. Gautier Soho began veganizing its menu in 2015 after animal rights group PETA protested its use of foie gras. Restaurant owner Alexis Gautier ended up going vegan himself and changed the restaurant's menu to be 75% vegan. At Vegan Restaurant Congress, a hospitality industry event held earlier this month in London, Gautier stuck by his decision to forego meat and dairy, saying, I can cook what I've been taught for the next 25 years and make money, he explained, but do I really want to carry on ignoring what's happening? So, Paul, this this article is pretty vague on what the protesting involved, mm-hmm. but... I think so, someone could look at this and say, well, look, here is a guy that wasn't vegan. These protests happened. And not only has he greatly increased the amount of vegan options on his menu, he decided to go vegan. And then within three years decided, you know what? Within the next two years, my whole menu is going to be vegan. Right? So that's just kind of like, all right, I guess maybe these protests do work sometimes. Yeah. You know, we don't know if this meant, and I was looking through all types of articles trying to find it, but we don't know if this meant people standing outside holding signs. We don't know if it meant petitions. We don't know, you know, what kind of interactions were had there. So I guess it's a little bit hard to gauge in that regard, but it's also, to me, it's kind of interesting that PETA was targeting this London based restaurant. No, I don't think so because it's foie gras. And I think that's a, yeah, I know the target. foie gras is like a, a hot button, a buzzword. A buzz, a hot, <laughs> a buzzword it's a hot button issue. buzzword. So, well, let me say this, Andy. It definitely seems like from this article, the protests were the main reason that that they chose to go vegan. Yeah. So I decided to go check out their website, just one, because I was curious what the menu looked like. And my God, I would like to eat there <laughs> when I go. They have like a whole vegan menu and like a whole vegan tasting menu thing. And, you know, it looks like somewhere that you would go spend uh, too much money on too little food. But it looks like it would be pretty good. And so on their website, they actually have a tab. There's like menu, hours, drinks, blah, blah, blah. And there's a tab for veganism, like straight up on their website. So I clicked on that. We'll put a link to it in our show notes, along with all the other articles we've been talking about in this episode. And so I'm going to read. There's actually like a lengthy thing in in that tab. Chef Alexis Gautier's history with vegetables is well-documented, first creating a plant-focused garden menu back in 1997. 
What? <laughs> at his restaurant, Roussillon, or Roussillon, at a time when vegetables in British restaurants did not get as much attention as they do today. It quickly became a hit and has remained on his menus ever since. After sensing the move towards a more plant-focused diner, Alexis wrote his book, Vegetronic, which spoke directly to a more plant-curious demographic. Opening Gautier Soho in 2010, Alexis knew from the very beginning that vegetables would be a main focus and made his vegetable menu stand shoulder-to-shoulder with the classic goat du jour, (laughs) G-O-U-T, menu. Vegetarian tasting menus were by then forming 20 to 30% of all bookings at Gautier Soho. When the animal rights charity PETA ran an international vegan month back in October 2015, Gautier Soho took part, quote, really to test the water, converting the vegetable menu to fully vegan and coinciding with Alexis himself turning vegan. We were overwhelmed by the response. Since then, the vegan menu Les Plantes has been available permanently, gathering fans with steadily increasing regularity. So this paints a totally different picture than the article paints. Yeah. Yeah. And is was the, quote, protest the PETA running an international vegan month? That's what it that's what it seems like. Now, now, I think to be fair. If someone was the target of a campaign or protests of some kind and that caused them to change their mind about something or caused them to alter their menu, I don't know if that would be the thing that you'd put up on your website. That is true. I I did look through a few uh, interviews with Alexis and didn't really find anything where he really talked about the cause of that. And again, that's coming from him. So it might be hard to actually find this information, but I'm like, well, how did munchies.vice.com get that information? You know, nothing in the article really spoke to what the protest was. And so the fact that I've been seeing people sharing this article as if it's proof that something like the antler protest could work, it it feels like it rings false to me. You're not wrong, Andy. (laughs) I, I, I think if if that is the reason, if like a protest was the reason that you would make a change like that, it probably wouldn't be a good look for your rest for your business to be like, yeah, we used to do this shitty thing, but now we don't do it. Like, I, I don't know. Unless I mean, you, you can, you can yeah, you can spin that in a way that makes you look really good. Like I learned new information and I decided I didn't want to part. That's, that's like every vegan's life story. I yeah. was doing shit shitty shit and now all of a sudden i i came across information and because i'm a a rational evolved human being i am now no longer doing that shitty shit yeah yeah shitty shit but hashtag shitty shit (laughs) but we're specifically talking about foie gras here and if like on i don't you're just you just read the vegan tab obviously but I bet on on the rest of the website i wonder if it just doesn't mention foie gras anywhere because they were like wow we realized that this was a this was extra shitty shit and we're like embarrassed that we used to do this because of those protests if it's something like that that wouldn't surprise me if they didn't want to include that if they just wanted to be like let's just try to erase that we ever did this bad thing you know yeah yeah so, so if that's the case then again i would understand why they wouldn't want to they wouldn't want to say that it was a protest and again this Peter ran an international vegan month. Maybe like maybe Peter was doing a bunch of stuff around London. And one of those things was the protest. But again, in an, in an effort to be like, to, 
to stray away from like saying we were targeted because we were doing something bad. They don't mention that. They just they want they acknowledge that PETA maybe played a hand in this, but they didn't want to say that it was because they were protesting their restaurant. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm 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 torn, Andy. I don't know if it it, it seems like the chef had an inclination for this stuff. I mean, wrote a veg like a veg at least vegetarian focused cookbook back in between 1997 and 2010. <laughs> yeah, right. But like so so writing a a vegetarian cookbook well before this restaurant was established, you know, it, it's it's it doesn't strike me as someone like the owner of Antler. You know, like this feels like if it was a, a campaign it it was a very strategic campaign. Like, oh, this is someone that's written a book knows the food is good is is leading towards veganism and we just got to apply a little bit of pressure and then this guy is going to switch everything up like that would be if this is a case of that being successful that would be a better example of choosing your target very wisely i think that what i'm what i'm going to guess is that this person was on board with the fact that I am a chef and I know how to make plants taste really good and I don't have the ethics necessarily. And then someone coming along and being like, here's the ethics and then being like, okay, I already know how to man- like make plants taste good. This stuff makes sense to me. Yeah. Let's, let's do this. That's maybe that's what it seems like to me that they didn't really have the ethical part fully down or they weren't fully down with it. Yeah. And then maybe it was Peter that came along and, and said like, Hey, you're already halfway there. Come on, man. Yeah, and then he became system of a fully down. <laughs> That's two system of a down. No. Oh, no. System of a down. Other episode. <laughs> Listen to the bonus app if you want the other sweet system of a down reference. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know. We're, we're speculating, as we always do. Yeah, but, but I, th- I think that anyone that, that, that sort of un-skeptically paints this as a, a clear example of how these campaigns can work is missing the full picture. And like you pointed out before, we don't know what these protests consisted of either. Yeah. And I think that that probably would make a difference for me in in how much I believed that played a role in changing this restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it also speaks to the fact that like seeds get planted along the way. Maybe some of these protests do plant seeds for the restaurant owners, but I also think that when when we see when people confront us about something, we're more likely to double down, right? That's the the backfire effect uh, mm-hmm. at hand there, and it seems like you're adding unnecessary obstacles, as as we talked about earlier, into the mix of people feeling like they have to defend who they are as a person. Like you're saying I'm a bad person for doing this stuff. Even if you don't outright say that people feel attacked, people feel attacked just by us as, as individual vegans being a vegan in the room a lot of the time, right? Like (laughs) just by existing and someone's friend can mention offhand to someone else in a different conversation, not even a part of that you're vegan and, and people feel like they have to defend themselves or talk about all the meat they love or talk about how they don't eat that much meat. Right? Like, so, (laughs) so if that's the reaction to someone just existing in this world as a vegan, like imagine having 20 plus vegans showing up outside of your restaurant, calling you a murderer does that open you up to a conversation? No. Right? And 
and if it doesn't open you up to a conversation, is there any possible scenario in which you as the protesters get something out of it that is a net positive for animals? You get a sign? Probably not. Make it a sign. Make it a sign. <laughs> Make it a sign. <laughs> is that where we want to end this one, Andy? I think so. Uh, you know, uh, honestly, I would love to find more examples. It's kind of a hard thing to to Google. It's easier to find like a, a like a dairy worker that transformed like Elmhurst Dairy or something. It's been harder to find examples of like restaurants that were protested and then went vegan or something like that. So if someone knows of an example just from your own life experience or some local restaurant or something like that, uh, please send us that article or, or just give us some information, send it our way. Send us an email to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. Hit us up on the Facebook. Hit us up on the Instagram. What are you smiling about, Paul? It's good to see you, Andy. It's great to see you. I love recording in person. So, yeah, I think that's all we got to say. Andy, what do you got coming up? Well, guess what, Paul? What's that? The next event I have coming up, we have coming up. Ooh, is it Atlantic City? It's Atlantic City. Atlantic City Vegan Food Festival, Atlantic City, New Jersey, doing that live podcast. Like Honestly, Paul, I feel like people really don't want to miss this thing. Um, the, the keynote speaker is RZA. Uh, obviously of Wu-Tang Clan. Uh, Lauren Ornelas is going to be there from uh, Food Empowerment Project, of course. Uh, And uh, Erica Boyd from Detroit Vegan Soul is going to be there. So I don't know. There's just so much good stuff happening. And uh, if you're you're a runner, there's a 5 and a 10K and a kids fun run on the boardwalk that's happening. I'll see you at the kids fun run, (laughs) brother. Just pushing children out (laughs) of the way. There's no altruistic reason for you to have been born. Listen to episode 132, whatever. Uh, <laughs> scratch that from the record. Um, <laughs> don't you like nuanced discussions about the merits of childbirth? Uh, anyway, that's July 14th. July 21st, I'll be at the Compassion Fest in Hamden, Connecticut. July 28th and 29th. <laughs> I'll be at the Colorado, uh, the VegFest Colorado in Broomfield, Colorado. Switching things up. Well, it's, they call it VegFest Colorado. I don't like it when people do that. It's just <laughs> I'll not them. a fan. I will write an angri- angrily, a strongly worded Yelp review uh, in Broomfield, Colorado. And don't forget, on the 29th at that the VegFest Colorado, I'll be speaking on a panel with Ginny Messina and JL Fields. Also, July 29th, Paul's going to be at the Jimmy Jam at the Skylands Animal Sanctuary. A much better name. <laughs> Jimmy Jam. Jimmy Jam. Jimmy Jam's. Uh... Jimmy Jam's Jam Emporium. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy Jam's Jam and Pajama Emporium. <laughs> I used to think that it'd be great if Jimmy John's made a mix of songs for people to use while they're working out, and it would be called Jimmy John's Jim Jams. <laughs> anyway uh that's july 29th at all of those events you can find either me or paul mostly me (laughs) sometimes paul behind the compassion company table and yeah look for that bright green tablecloth and the unicorn t-shirts that's us come up say what's up beardo we'll give you a button and or sticker and uh, maybe we'll have these new stickers around for you to uh, get your eyes on. We'll see what's, we're gonna see. We have we have not decided how we want to se- uh, disseminate these stickers <laughs> to people. <laughs> Make it rain. <laughs> and hey, if you're listening to this episode in a timely fashion, aka the day that it's coming out, 
and you're not watching Independence Day right now. Oh, we didn't even talk about Independence Day. We didn't. Go watch Independence Day. Honestly, it's just grade A Will Smith, grade A Jeff Goldblum, grade A Vivica A. Fox. I don't know. It's all just great. A young Jack Black, right? He's really? A, no, no, no. That's uh, Mars Attacks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what's his name? Randy Quaid? Or is it Dennis? Yeah, it's Randy Quaid, right? Grade A Quaid. Uh, Grade Quaid. Quaid. (laughs) It's good stuff. Go watch Will Smith kick some butt. Paul, if I had to pick my favorite moment from Independence Day, Mm -hmm. it's it's hard because, I mean, I do love when Randy Quaid, Quaid, uh, spoiler alert, flies into the craft (laughs) and destroys all the aliens, right? But when they get data from Star Trek in the uh, secret underground Area 51 government facility and the alien pops up and and grabs him and, like, puts his tentacles up him like he's a ventriloquist dummy and uh, pushes him against the glass. And they're all like, should we shoot the glass? I don't know if we should shoot the glass. He's going to say something. And then he, the alien forces data from Star Trek to say the following seven words. We are the Bearded Beacon setting off. You know, I actually locked myself away in a cabin in Newburgh, New York. Nope, that's not right at all. It's <laughs> Forsberg. <laughs> you were just trying to do a vocal exercise. <laughs> Unique? New York. Newburgh, New York. <laughs> I like that you you just said a car full of chicken cages. No product placement for anyone that's not sponsoring us. <laughs> we'll be like, hey, listen, uh, Toyota and your Hilux. <laughs> You want to get a name drop and have to give us the big bucks. Yeah, so people can support us for as little as blah, blah, blah. Durban and Durban. It's already, already, already. What? No, no, no. I was gonna make a bad joke. Do it. I've never, I've never Durban there. God. Never Durban there. It's never horrible. Durban there. That no, none of it works. <laughs> They were wearing white face masks, beanies, and hoodies when they got up to mischief. Which, side note, do you think they're anonymous for the voiceless? <laughs> Wait, I, Andy, you said white face masks? Are you sure it's not white face masks? <laughs> What's the difference? In some way, they want them to go vegan or something. They want them to go vegan or something like that. I think there's a reggae version of I Saw the Sign. I feel like I must have looked that up already, <laughs> just for my own personal benefit. Uh, well, <laughs> uh, I used to, um... <laughs> Are you drunk, Andy? <laughs> a podcast drunk right now. <laughs> <laughs>